0: Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on Direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: The Athletic I'm Mark McGettigan, a.k.a. the FPL General. I've had three top 500 finishes during my time as a fantasy Premier League manager, and I want to help you to be the very best fantasy manager you can be. So join me every week as I share my tips, tricks and insight on The Athletic's FPL podcast on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places, and listen ad-free on The Athletic app.
2: This is Talk of the Devils, the athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United, of course. Welcome home. Welcome. They're back. Yes, they've travelled every inch of the globe, it seems. Well, certainly Andy Mitten has covering Manchester United and speaking to Manchester United supporters all over the place. But he is back in Barca. And Laurie Whitwell is back in Blighty. Welcome home to you two, but more excitedly, we have a new voice on the podcast this week. Yes, introducing the Beano's very own Curious Carl. Hello, Curious Carl. Hello. (laughs) That was one of the more random things I saw on social media this week.
3: Yeah, so a little surprise for everyone. Um, This week's edition of the Beano has been guest edited by Marcus Rashford, uh, and as part of it, he asked me if I wanted to turn myself into a comic book character for it so it's me and some other members of his book club Um, and Curious Carl was inspired by basically when I was just an oink as a child and would just press any red button while going shopping with my mum much to her annoyance. brilliant
2: (laughs) it feels like the next step from the wrestling uh, revelation that we had a few weeks ago as well to be fair we should also say it's been quite a week for you because congratulations the second book with Marcus is also out as well you can do it it's available now isn't it
3: it is available now all good bookshops and whatnot. Uh, still very surreal walking down Manchester High Street seeing it on billboards as well so uh, if anyone's picked a co- up a copy already I want to say thank you very much.
2: Yeah brilliant well go and find it if you've not seen it yet because for young children it's a brilliant read and the whole idea is empowering the kids as well isn't it Carl it's building on the work that Marcus has already been doing over the last few years.
3: Yeah so the first book Euro Champion was about empowering children and saying you can do anything don't worry if you're come from a not so great area you've got an accent that isn't necessarily queen's english and you can do it is all about collective activism so understand that if you work together you can clean up your local park or you can help cycle lanes in your local area and just looking after each other all the time
2: excellent and I think Marcus has been reading it as well because he's been part of a very successful tour for Manchester United you can do it Marcus (laughs) he's been one of the players who has refound some form after of course all the nightmare that everyone had last season bit of holiday blues Andy being back home but you're already off again you're planning your next trip aren't you
1: I'm going to Oslo in the morning for Manchester United's next game uh been there seen United playing Norway loads of times the club are really really well supported there Oslo is a great city there's loads of passionate United fans there it is not a cheap city no so I'm really glad that I'm not going drinking with Laurie in Oslo (laughs) because if you're one of them you have to sell your house because a beer is like 12 quid or something like that so yeah good, good place and I'm looking forward to the game it's against Atletico Madrid it's only a friendly but United should be feeling a little bit vengeful and another chance to see where we're at with Eric Ten Hag.
2: Yeah, you and Laurie have just finished a a long read, which is up on The Athletic now, about the tour for Manchester United. Lots of interesting detail in there about how it went over there, the dynamic as well that Eric Ten Hag has brought. What was the standout thing for you, Laurie, in that article?
4: I think it was what we led off on. um, You know, and we've got to say... Me and Andy worked um, pretty well together. I think um, he sent me a load of notes as the tour was ending. We were having having little conversations as the days were progressing, where we could snatch a, a little moment together. And the the detail that Ten Hag had basically dropped a player from his lineup because they were late twice for meetings, I think is kind of like a, just a clear indication of how he's going to proceed. Um, you know, it's not a case of letting things slide. It's it's equally not a case of if you're second late you're going to get called up and, and that's it, you know, um, you're going to get punished. Actually, you're giving people a little bit of a chance, but, you know, there's clearly rules in place. He's very clear, speaking to people that understand how he was hired, um, say that he's very clear on what he will accept, what he won't accept. And that that obviously came through during the tour. Um, listen, we, we say it positively at this moment because the results have been good, that the kind of aura that he's had has been good. Obviously, as time goes on, we'll see if that continues. You know, it's the the, the disciplinarian can, it can easily become you know the kind of detached uh, management um, style that we've kind of criticised before. But I think overall, like I got a sense that he, he gets the balance right. I think so far between laying down the law, but also having those moments of levity, showing himself a little bit. You know, clearly. You know he's, he's, he delivered a couple of bollocks, didn't he to, to players for um certain situations that he didn't like in training or even in matches no respect to necessarily of a reputation as well um when we're talking about um the kind of age of some of them um you know with David De Gea clearly getting a bit of a rollicking, um, but then also zadanic Bal you know he's young but he, he can improve and, and that's clearly what Eric Ten Hag was was getting at in his training session so um yeah I kind of think that was that was overall and also a little bit about the con- the control that he has or at least the the attention to detail that he has so you know I don't know if it's too niche for people but the the idea of knowing what players were doing media wise and um, whether or not you know what, what was the purpose of that what was the value to the football club and, and results and performances for that now you know so he wanted to hear um, you know from the media team sort of what the reasons for it were and I think ultimately he accepted, you know, that doing media is good because it helps the fans connect with the players and, and create a better mood around the place. Where you know previously, certainly last season, you had a lot of a, uh, I suppose, a detachment between players and fans in terms of how it went down.
2: Yeah, I don't think it is too niche. I think it gives everyone an insight into how he is trying to be across as many aspects of the club as possible. Even when he's got a lot of work on just to improve things on the pitch, he's taken an interest in all the different aspects off it the, the article details a lot of those as well uh, and also a bit about what Steve McLaren's doing and what Mitch is doing as Anthony Alanga referred to him as <laughs> in an interview that you did with him Laurie which made me giggle I don't know why because his name's Mitchell so Mitch doesn't seem that unusual but I don't know I just found that really interesting that he was Mitch already um, the thing with Ten Haag Andy already quite outspoken and he certainly didn't mince his words after the Aston Villa draw did he, he was very disappointed with his players
1: yeah at the time in the stadium I thought it was a shame that United didn't win the game and make it four out of four but on reflection I'm I'm actually glad that United had a bad second half. Why is that? It because he came out then and said very strongly this isn't acceptable and gave his players a taste of what's to come if they don't do as as he says. There were mitigating factors, the conditions were really bad, the pitch was bad, there were multiple substitutes. Aston Villa got the shape together in the second half and Villa are a decent side. But he wasn't going to do any media before that game in Perth and then he did afterwards and he's using the media quite well there. He was really strong in his criticisms and I think it was a good tour for him. It was a good tour for United but it was a good tour for Eric Ten Hag. We've been there before, You know, Van Aal had a good opening start Josie Mourinho did as well you could almost predict when whoever got the Manchester United job next you were going to hear the sorts of things that Laurie and I uh, wrote about from the tour you know phones have been banned around the table as if it's like revolutionary chips have been banned you always get that sort of stuff with, with a new manager but I saw in my own eyes and I speak to a lot of people it's our jobs to speak to people and find out what's going on and After two or three weeks of Ralph Rangnick, I was not getting good signals. And after two or three weeks of Eric Ten Haag, I was getting very good signals. So I'm going to take on board what people are telling me. And it's only pre-season, but so far, uh, so good.
2: Cautiously optimistic is how it feels, certainly. Carl, the good thing as well for us trying to gain an insight into Ten Hag's early Manchester United team is that he's named very similar lineups for each of the games. So we've got a really good idea of what he thinks his first choice eleven is, haven't we?
3: Oh, yeah. I believe in Laurie and Andy's piece they've written about how this new uh, double-header of friendlies this week is going to work out. So it's, it's the strongest side going to Norway and then the other team's going to go Old Trafford. And I think the only real question now on the first team is who's starting the left-back, really. I think it should be Luke Shaw, but Tyrell Malassia has made such a good case for him in pre-season, he might get the edge on him for that Brighton game. But as far as everything else concerned, it seems as if the team picks itself. Martinez will probably come in at left-centre-back and then we're away at the races.
2: Yeah, and we'll get into, of course, a few faces who have not been part of the Manchester United setup just yet in pre-season and who are back around the club or at the club for the first time now as well later on in the podcast. But, Laurie, I think now's a good time to get an insight from some of the players that you've been speaking to about their relationship and their early working relationship with the new Manchester United manager. So, first up, here's David De Gea.
5: Obviously, with different managers, you have to to adapt to the way they want us to play. But uh, I'm used to play like this in the national team for many years, so I'm comfortable to be honest. And yeah, we want to build from the back. I want to be ready to to give option to the players, to to play from the back and of course be, be ready for, for the long balls to, to create the balls and and the most important thing for me is saving the balls, make the saves and try to, to help the team. If you want to play from the back you you have to you need a good structure, you need a lot of options, uh, especially from the guys that we are on the back. In the back, I think we are doing well. I think we showed the other day against Palace. We build from the back really well, and we have scored some good goals as well. It's difficult to win to win things. Every team is is very difficult to beat. I've been in a tough situation in the club uh, when we don't win as much as we want. But, but I love the club, I hope in the in the in the years that they coming for sure we will try to win something big winning or not winning just being this club means more than more than winning trophies but of course we will we, we want to win we always want to win but just uh, representing this club is is bigger than any trophy we should learn from from last season that that cannot happen again because it was for me it was tough painful it was painful to to be there and losing games by 4-0, 5-0, nil, nil, so it, was, it wasn't uh, acceptable, so I we have to feel pain sometimes to, to go up and, and keep going. If they let me stay here, I will stay here for sure because uh, I'm really comfortable, really happy, and hopefully before I leave we can build something big and, and let's see if we can win something.
2: Yeah, we spoke about it on the podcast last season, didn't we? Really, sort of growing in voice, David De Gea. As the results got worse last year, his voice and his opinion seemed to carry more and more weight. So, interesting to hear him speak when the situation's slightly different now.
4: Yeah. It was good to get some time with him. Um, we did it in the Ritz Carlton Hotel, which is where, of you Night know, we're staying, of course, we did. It had beautiful views. <laughs> had a better view out of that window <laughs> than it did out of my hotel window. I'll, I'll tell Cabier you. Caviar and champagne all round. Well, yeah. we were kind of in the hotel room where we did the interview for about sort of forty minutes, waiting for him. Um, and as you can imagine, a I don't know what you call a group of journalists. Okay. A gaggle of journalists, a a fool fool of journalists, journalists. yeah, quite, quite apt. (laughs) Um, Obviously, we were as juvenile as you'd expect, waiting for uh, you know an established Premier League footballer uh, to come in. Um, But when when he came in, it was it was a good interview. I felt like he gave you know, a good account of himself and was honest in terms of how bad it was last season and then flipping it forward to this season. I sort of asked him about Ten Hag. And what what does he bring? You know, it's, it's easy for us to kind of look at a situation and think and make our own observations. But, you know, from players, that's what really matters. And, and maybe we don't get the full candid account from a player. You know, clearly he's, he's got to um, be a little bit diplomatic with his words, but he, he was... You could sense from him certainly before the questions were finished. He was nodding along to certain ones that he really agreed with in terms of Ten Hag being intense and focused and very to the point with what he wants from his players. So that that certainly came through. Um, and, and generally, it was a an interesting sort of discussion with him because I, I thought that you know in the Liverpool game he came out of his goal more than you know he has done previously. Um, and also, you know, Ten Hag likes his goalkeepers to to play out from the back. But De Gea was basically saying, "I, I can do this. I've done it my whole career. Just haven't shown it." He was saying
2: in the interview continually about pushing it back to the national team. I've done this with the national team. I've done this with the national team. But the thing with that, Andy, is he's not even been getting in the national team squad despite his form being pretty good last year because Luis Enrique seems to think that he can't do this very well.
1: David De Gea is not Spain's number one or even number two. and I Is
2: he even number three at the
1: minute? (laughs) Well, he's travelling, so that's probably even more frustrating for him because he's got to travel knowing that he's almost certainly not going to play. And it's a sore point for David De Gea. No two ways about it. His stock in Spain since 2018 World Cup is much, much lower. And even among United fans, um, when we mentioned him on the tour, there was definitely a bit of pushback. Like, De Gea's not good for this reason, for that reason. I think his position's pretty solid at Manchester United. He was one of the best players last year. But it'll only take a few wobbles and the criticism which De has had at times will, will, will come back. I don't think it's a major problem for Manchester United at the moment. I think fans and the manager are looking at outfield areas as a priority rather than the goalkeeper.
2: Yeah, and he's a real leader in the team as well. You get that sense when he speaks. The one concern I do have with him, and I've spoken about this I think on the pod before, is that he's very streaky. It feels like even though he's very well established and very well experienced now, that when things start to go wrong, they continue to go wrong. And when things start to go right, they continue to go right. You look at last season and that brilliant run of form that he had, he was Manchester United's Player of the Year in the end, which, interestingly, in the interview, he also addressed and said that he hoped someone else would come to the fore this season because that usually means, of course, that United have had a better campaign when a goalkeeper's not winning Player of the Year. But, Carl, the mistakes that he's made now in the last two friendlies are a little bit of a concern, maybe. You can probably sense by my intonation that I'm not trying to play it up too much.
3: A little bit. I've, I'm slightly concerned by United's defending on set pieces, particularly on corners, um probably with the asterisks of you know second half, scratch side, not the not the full strength, De Gea will probably have more protection. But I'm with Andy, it's not a major problem, but the goalkeeping situation has been a problem for a while at Manchester United and will need to get solved sooner rather than later. I think De Gea will be the Premier League goalkeeper and he'll probably if he wants to be, be the goalkeeper in the Europa League and the Cups. But I do think come 2023, 2024, something needs to be resolved because if Manchester United want to to play the football that I think Ten Hag wants them to play, De Gea is not it. His
4: contract is up uh, in that that period, basically, and he spoke about it in that saying he wants to sign a new deal, he wants to finish his career, basically, at Manchester United. He spoke about the love for the club. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic, as you say, Carl. I think you've seen from Ajax's teams under Ten Hag that he's had a a ball player and and De Gea can do that I mean I remember Eric Steele saying he he, he bought him he he wanted United to buy him primarily because of his shot stopping but also because of the way he could ping a few balls you know to the wings but we've not really seen that since Ferguson and he even touched on that that it was sort of Ferguson that he last sort of showed that properly but he was really adamant that he could do it he he really wasn't backing down he had full faith in his abilities so we'll see
3: The really important one that a lot of the modern goalkeepers have so if you look at Know, Allison and, and uh, Edison and Hugo Lloris in particular as well is this sort of chipped through ball to the fullbacks and then you can really quickly bypass things. Um, and De Gea hasn't got it, and Dean Henderson didn't have it either. Now, if you have Lissandra Martinez playing at left centre back, you don't necessarily need to be able to do that because Martinez will do the pass for you. So, I don't think it, you know De Gea's problems with his feet are going to be. Crippling in terms of passing, but I do think he does need to be braver in terms of claiming crosses, what he does in corner kicks. Because, you know, if you're, I don't even think you need to be a top six side. If you're, say, Newcastle or Nottingham Forest, if I got a corner against United, I'm just going to put one person in front of De Gea and then crash the six yard box and watch him struggle to work his way out of it.
2: This is crazy because this is the type of thing we were talking about when he first arrived at Old Trafford, what, 11 years ago. Um, (laughs) So the fact that this is still an issue seems amazing. But he came through it then. And I'm sure that he's got full faith in himself that he can come through it again. And considering the career he's had at Old Trafford, it will be interesting to see how this season goes for him. Last season was certainly a breakthrough year for our pod favourite, Anthony Alanga. I'm sure people who listen to the podcast long term will be familiar with Andy Mitton bouncing up and down in a yellow jumper, singing his name. And finally, we have exactly what Alanga feels about it in his own words to have his own Old Trafford chant, which of course we championed on the pod.
6: We've been working a lot, not just on the ball, but off the ball as well. We know we weren't as fit last season, we were, I think we are even fitted this season. Running for the team, running off the ball, running with the ball. So, yeah, that element of running and pressing is really important. And that's one of the things the managers brought into the team and we're all really buying into it. I feel like the whole team can press and it's all in the mind as well. If you want to do it, you can do it. Like I say, it's, it's the new style that we've got and the other style that Ralph had, we bought into that as well. So it's different now. Personally for me I want to be able to take my game to the next level and I want to build on what I did last season, make it even better. And that's what I'm using pre-season, game by game, another 45 minutes in the tank. I want to get even sharper, I want to feel even sharper. I feel good right now. And now I'm just ready for the next game against Palace. I've been working with my uh, personal trainer Tom, Tom Joyce, who I've known for a long time. And you know he's one of the reasons I am wearing him today. He's helped me a lot. Um, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch as well, my mentality and stuff like that. So I appreciate him and he's a really good guy and I'll, I'll continue working with him, he's really good. I can play anywhere in the front three and when I say take my game to the next level, I really want to be able to score more goals, more assists, affect the games, be a danger player, danger player, you know, be a starter for Manchester United, um, which I think is a dream for any any young lad coming through the academy and that's what I'm trying to achieve and trying to aim for.
3: We've
4: well, got a song as well, um, not many players have songs in the what's that
6: like? Honestly, it's amazing, it's a, it's a dream come true, you know, I'm just appreciative of the fans being able to, you know, sing when I come on or when I'm warming up or when I'm on the pitch, it's, it's amazing to hear and, you know, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing, work even harder and, like I say, take my game to the next level.
2: Yeah, Laurie, in that interview as well, great to hear from Alanga because he is one of the players who will be looking to disrupt... What looks like Ten Hag's first choice eleven already. He's been given chances, but he doesn't feel like one of the first choice in that front four because those four have linked up so well. It's going to be difficult for him to break through that.
4: Yeah, I think you have to accept that Marcus Rashford, in the history of him, has shown that he's a, an elite footballer when he gets it right. You know, clearly last season was a massive disappointment. He needs to refine that form, but it looked like he was showing glimpses of that away on tour. So really, at his best, he is. You know, much the better option than Antti Alanga at this stage because he's you know a younger player. He, he had that breakthrough moment, which I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I think we kind of worried really that there would be too much emphasis on Alanger last season when he came through. He's, he's a young kid; he was a teenager at the time, so you know you can't expect week after week performances. Drip feeding him's fine, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so as, as an alternative, I think that's 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 cool. Um, I think that's where Ten Hag's got him earmarked for, um, and and yeah, he's obviously a kid. You know, speaking to him who. Absolutely loves playing for Manchester United. I know it's cliche perhaps, but it's still, you know, a warranted um stance that you, you want players that are absolutely desperate to to pull on the shirt and, and give their best. And he'll always do that, won't he? It's I suppose you just want to see perhaps a bit more technical quality and that that can develop. Um, but clearly he's got the the pressing acumen, he's he's got the kind of pace that can really trouble defenders and he's shown that he can finish as well. So hopefully Ten Hag can get his hands on him and kind of bring him to his fullest form.
2: Yeah, he said he wanted to add more goals and assists to his game, which was something that we picked out as well when we were talking about him last season. But no doubt it's been a productive trip for Manchester United. Um, I'm sure Andy and Laurie enjoyed themselves and like we say you can read their inside the tour take on The Athletic right now. If you're not a subscriber go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod, where you can subscribe now to The Athletic and pay just £1 for the first six months. You get full access to all our great writing including that article of course and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast as well. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Sign up now. Okay, people will have been shouting at us throughout the course of the first, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes of this podcast, because I don't think anyone's mentioned the R word yet. And obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo. Rum and Coke. <laughs> Rum and Coke.
1: Ralph Rangnick.
2: <laughs> any more for any more?
4: Can't possibly think what you're, what you're talking at, what you're hinting at. No. No?
2: If I said the C-R <laughs> word, would that help anyone?
4: We know where you're getting at.
2: <laughs> people are still shouting at me. Cristiano Ronaldo. Because he's back. Or is he? I don't know. What's going on, Laurie? Yeah, he's
4: back. As we saw uh, on Tuesday, they had a day off. Is he still back? He's still back, yeah. He's, he's not gone again? No, he's not gone. <laughs> he, he watched the friendly against uh, Wrexham on Wednesday, Um but didn't play in it. Uh, Christian Eriksen and Lisandro Martinez did. they the new signings that have... Well, I suppose Christian Eriksen is not a new signing, is he? But he, he sort of feels like one when he's been away from a pre-season tour. Um, yeah, we sent Dan Sheldon to Carrington. Uh, early in the morning, 7am I think it was, half seven at least, um, to go and see if he was going to show up and he did, didn't he? Um, driving George Mendes in, uh, Martinez and Ericsson also showed up, So Alex Ferguson showed up, it sort of seemed like they're having a, a big get-together, you know, for all time's sake. Um, I mean, the Ferguson element is <laughs> no, fascinating. No, Ferguson
2: was there for a, a pre-arranged yes. lunch with other yes, people, yeah? Yes,
4: yes, absolutely. Um, okay. I mean, listen, it, it, that, that's obviously what you know, people at United are saying, I'd be surprised personally if, uh, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson didn't have a conversation with George Mendes or Cristiano Ronaldo in this moment that is clearly a very pivotal one for how United's season will go and Eric Ten Hag's reign may go. Um, But, I mean, Eric Ten Hag did have a conversation with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, you know, that was his first time that he's been able to have a chat with him because, you know, we asked him consistently on tour, have you spoken to him? And, you know, consistently the answer was no. And we discussed, you know, whether that was a what that meant really for from both parties um but the idea is that you know Cristiano Ronaldo still wants to leave he's reiterated that desire um but where does he go you know there's question marks over who can actually afford him um as it stands They've got two friendlies at the weekend, Um, you know, the one against Atletico Madrid, which is ironically or aptly one of the teams that are supposed to be a potential avenue for him, although the fans have kind of made their view very clear. The president's even said it's not a starter, but, you know, people say things publicly and and, and do things differently behind the scenes sometimes. Hello, Joanne Laporta. Hello, Joanne Laporta. (laughs) Uh, And then, yeah, Sunday is Ray Alucano at Old Trafford, which we mentioned this in the piece, but this was like a friendly that was um, shoehorned in at Eric Ten Hag's request because he wanted a chance to play all his players for 90 minutes the weekend before the season starts. And he's got a very particular idea on, on fitness. So whether Ronaldo features in either of those is still a little bit up in the air. You know, he's obviously very fit. We've seen the pictures in United shorts of him working out at home or or wherever he's been. Um, But whether or not Ten Hag feels it's the right thing to put him in, you know, there's been put to me that you know, tactically he's, he's obviously got his ideas that he's he's got across um with the players on tour you know does he need a bit of time to try and you know instill that into Ronaldo is Ronaldo open to to listening to it if he wants to go is he is he going to be the right kind of character to have around the place um Mendes is obviously doing his utmost to, to get him an option um Sporting Lisbon was one that I'd heard as an alternative um, which would obviously be a return home for him in, in, in some sort but Another whether one. they can afford him yeah i mean i i, I just don't know how they could actually afford him. Um, that's the big question. Um, Uh, and it comes down to really, you know, what people were telling me was that it's this Champions League idea of his, you know, it's not necessarily even about winning it again. Um, It's about, I think, cementing his status as the record scorer and and getting more and more goals. So that will be an interesting, um, you know, if if anyone ever speaks about it properly, you know, openly, it'll be really interesting to see what the fans think of it, because obviously came back to such fanfare and, and there were definitely great moments last season, but clearly, you know also there was disruption and would that is this you know a great legacy for him would actually be to 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 kind of focus on man united and get them back into the champions league or get them back winning things but i think maybe he's thinking about his own legacy in, in the champions league which you know you are allowed to do as the one of the best players ever to to play the game but i think that would then leave a certain impression with united fans
2: Yeah, Carl, you've written on The Athletic about whether this Manchester United team need Cristiano Ronaldo to get back into the Champions League. People can go and read that, of course, at the moment. But do you think they need him? How do you see him fitting into what Eric Ten Hag has shown us so
3: far? It's a really tricky one in that if you look at that United squad right now without Ronaldo, I don't think there's enough goals in the team. I think, you know, I looked at the last four or five seasons of Premier League football, and it looks as if, if you want to get in the top four, you need to be able to score between 65 and 70 goals. Anthony Martial doesn't strike me as someone who can score 20 league goals in a season. Marcus Rashford is probably worth 10 to 12 Premier League goals. Jadon Sancho is between five and 10, especially if he plays on the left. He's probably going to get more assists. And then you, you sort of you do your maths that way, and you go, one of you either needs to get 20 goals in a league season, or United need to get a lot of penalties which, um, I mean, we used up all of our penalty coupons in 2020.
2: And get better at set pieces, by the way, as well. I don't want to be celebrating a Harry Maguire header at Ellen Road in <laughs> April again or whatever it was.
3: Oh, God, blimey. Uh, so that, that was my original formulation I thought, well, if if we keep saying Ronaldo's worth 20 league goals a season, will that get you to where you need to be? And I, I don't think that's the case. And Ronaldo is such a bizarre player in that he will get you at least 15 league goals a season. But he takes so many shots to do it and goes hunting for the ball so often that it causes irregularities in your attack. And if you've got a really good team with a proper defensive midfielder that can play settled possession and whatnot, that's fine. But I don't think United have that yet. And I think Ronaldo is at such a place in his career that I'm not sure if it's wise to build around someone who's 37 turning 38 years of age anymore. And that makes things difficult as well. So I'm pulling the face and I think a number of United fans are probably looking at what's going on with Ronaldo and going, this is a lot worse than what Wayne Rooney did and I was furious about Wayne Rooney. I maybe owe Wayne Rooney an apology. I
1: think it needs to be sorted out as soon as as it can be, but I don't think it will be. We could easily be talking in a month's time uh, with it going right to the wire just as uh, his situation with Juventus wasn't resolved last year. I think there's a feeling from the answers of Carl and Laurie of of slight confliction that is extended to people within the club as well. You could argue comprehensively um, for and against keeping him. He doesn't fit into Ten Hag's style of football at all. If he left, United would be uh, relieved of his substantial wages. Um, And yet, I know some of his biggest critics within the club, they would even admit that one person said to me, If every footballer was as professional as Cristiano Ronaldo and as driven as him, the standard of world football would increase by 20% almost overnight. And statistically, his statistics, his goals that he scored were fantastic for United. George Mendes has been heavily involved in Manchester United throughout this transfer window, for better or for worse. When I hear people saying, is he spoiling his legacy? Yeah, and no. Did George Best spoil his legacy? His behaviour was far, far worse than Cristiano Ronaldo's, and yet there's a statue of him outside the ground. Fans are incredibly loyal, but they're incredibly fickle as well. So you couldn't find one fan who wanted Wayne Rooney to stay in 2013. But when he did stay, because United refused to sell him, just as United are refusing to sell Ronaldo, within three weeks, fans were singing his name as well. It's not good. It's not good on Eric. I think he'd like a resolution to it, Um, but I don't think there's an obvious answer. If Cristiano wants to go... um, I had half people in Madrid media asking me questions yesterday. What's happening with him in Manchester? Where does the truth lie? It was a family issue, was it? And now we're saying he wants to play in the Champions League. Well, go to Sporting then. They finished second um, last year. Atletico Madrid fans uh, do not want him. He's not got a huge amount of suitors because of the high wages that he's got and because of the baggage which he brings with him, including goals.
3: Andy, can I ask, right now, as a United fan, would you much rather have a Wayne Rooney statue or a Ronaldo statue outside Old Trafford?
1: Ronaldo's a better player for me in terms of that individual brilliance in an amazing Manchester United team. Rooney's one of United's greatest ever players as well. He's a top goal scorer. Uh, But at various times, both wanted to leave Manchester United. And that's their right. This line that, if they don't want to play for us, then get rid. Life's not quite that simple. Because almost every Manchester United player has wanted to leave at one point or another for various reasons for another. And there's another thing here. When players do eventually leave the club, it's seldom done amicably. Oli Solshaw went with that, you know, I'm sorry to be going video. It doesn't normally happen. Most players completely get the hump. It takes them between five and ten years to come round to thinking, OK, maybe I wasn't worth another contract like I thought I was at the time.
2: I remember Ruud van Nistelrooy coming back to Old Trafford for a Legends game, I think it was. It was something like ten years after he'd left. And he'd only just about then swallowed the idea that he'd left and the reason why he'd left. He'd only just spoke to Sir Alex Ferguson again after all those years because he was so bitter about what had gone on. And, of course, he went to Real Madrid. It's not like he was cast down into the non-league, Andy, is it?
1: I went to see Van Nistelrooy in Madrid in 2008 and I got quotes from him on the record. And for the first time, he admitted that he might be partially responsible for his own departure. (laughs) And that was picked up on in all the English tabloids. And that was the first softening of his stance, where he actually said, "Ah, you know, I have kept the home, Maybe the home stage in Manchester." One, then.
2: I think I got stage three or four,
1: <laughs> and, and it took that that time to get through. And there was a big divide when he left, and and that's pretty typical.
2: Laurie, where are we up to with this then? Because we've had so many theories, we've had so many claims, we've got talk of contracts being extended for him to be loaned out, we've got talk of clubs pulling out of. Certain clubs being interested but not able to afford him. of Ronaldo maybe being forced to stay because there's nowhere for him to go. Of United saying that he's not for sale. There's been so much said and written about his situation. What do you think the actual truth of the matter is now?
4: Yeah, I think he wants to leave. I think he's told... Manchester United that I think they're trying to keep him whether or not we agree with that that's kind of a debatable point I think as Carl's hinted at you know (laughs) trying to keep him because they
2: want him to be part of this team or trying to keep him because that's the stance that they want everyone to see and
4: know well it's certainly their their stance that he's not for sale I think the reason for keeping him is because if you let him go you've got Anthony Martial as your only centre forward you know so the the options are limited and okay. We can maybe touch on potential signings if they do go down that route. But even even then, you know. So for example, Anthony has been spoken about. At the moment, he's not an option for Manchester United. He's too expensive. So. Scratch that one off.
2: We've got about eight goals in the Eredivisie last year as well, didn't he? We? have got the same issue.
4: Well, exactly. It's not even. It's not even the right position. Yeah, it's in offence, but it's not. Um, you know, the, the centre forward that United really need, and they need an experienced centre forward. So you talk about uh, Benjamin Sesko as well, who you know is a player for Red Bull Salzburg, who scored against Liverpool this week. Bit of a Harland light, I suppose. Nineteen year old, six foot four. You know, United are looking at him. I think there's been talks with his agent, but you know difficult deal to do and would he really be the right player for Manchester United at this particular moment so I think United's determination to keep Cristiano Ronaldo is 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 kind of primarily because they, they need him you know that whether or not he would still disrupt the squad and it would be an issue for Eric Ten Hag to deal with I think having him as an option at least if if Eric Ten Hag could convince him to be that and, and not the kind of guy that they have to start every single game then United view that as a as a as a better option than, than not having him and, and maybe not having another striker. So um it's it's a they they you can probably say they, they should have anticipated this when it was clear in 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 April and, and May that you know United weren't gonna get into the Champions League. That was clearly a driving motivation for Cristiano Ronaldo I do have some sympathy in that he left it until, you know, the kind of eve of of pre-season training to kind of make his feelings absolutely clear. But, you know, United shouldn't have really left it to that stage where, you know, you're kind of wondering, you know, Darwin Nunes, they were having talks on him. Ultimately, they didn't pursue it, but they, there's, a, there's a suggestion to say they could have had him way before Liverpool properly got interested because Sadio Mane, you know, was clearly going to go to Bayern buy Munich for for a cheaper fee as well. Um, so, you know, a bit of foresight in that way would have perhaps made this situation a little bit more palatable, giving them a bit more leverage in the situation. Um, so, there's definite questions to ask, but I, I ultimately think that the reason why they're adamant that he's not for sale is because the the alternative is is worse. I'm
2: sure this won't be the last time we talk about Cristiano Ronaldo on this podcast. There's no doubt about that. It will run and run. And of course, keep your eyes on The Athletic for the very latest on this.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
2: Speaking of things at Run and Run, it's time for this.
1: I got my mindset
2: Yes, Frankie de Jong. Ronaldo's actually taken our mind off him for a few days, I think, just about. Um, Andy, where are we up to?
1: I've yet to hear anything from any source suggesting that Frankie de Jong wants to join Manchester United. (laughs) That's where we're up to. Great.
2: We're in reverse gear then, are we?
1: Uh, I said 60 40 a week ago. I'd now be bringing it down to 50 50. Uh, oh I came dear. back to Barcelona, and the vibes I'm getting are not the strongest. That this is a man who's really wants to go to Manchester United.
4: This is a key a key issue, isn't it? Because I mean, I think alluding to was sort of reported, uh, you know, last month, wasn't it? Even longer than that, that he was open to the idea. That was that was me. I'll, I'll take that on my shoulders because I got a, a tweet from uh, one of the f- uh, fan accounts uh, yesterday, sort of. In a polite way, asking me, "You said this, and now the athletic are reporting that he's not interested in coming. Where's the truth?" And I don't mind genuine questions like that done in a respectful manner. So I replied and basically said that was you know what I felt at the time. Different colleagues have different contacts, and also you know being open to something isn't necessarily, I guess, the same as actively wanting it.
2: Is that Dermot Corrigan's piece then, who said that he's not not that interested yeah. in coming to Manchester United? That's up there at the minute. If people want to have a look at that,
4: he's just not that into you. If if uh, we have any Love Island listeners, um, <laughs> yeah. you know I don't know. I think maybe that's that's the case where if Barcelona were going to you know force him out and and, and you know uh, take his take his wages, he, he wants his wages clearly. But at the same time, as Andy said already, you know he's got an emotional attachment and he, and he likes the area, right? Mm. Uh, Carl, so.
2: It felt optimistic when the signings were beginning to come through the door, even though it's taking forever for Eriksson and Martinez to get visas or whatever else it needs to happen in a, a post-Brexit world, um, signing footballers. But if United are heading into the season, which we're only a week or so away now, aren't we? With still Ronaldo's future up in the air and still chasing De Jong, who feels like he's getting further away from coming to Manchester. They've got a bit of a problem in the barometer of whether this is a successful summer or not, haven't they?
3: Yep, it's eight days into the Premier League season, as we're talking. And it feels a little bit like the beginning of 2021, where United had that very long, prolonged chase for Jaden Sancho, and he just didn't turn up. Uh, and they seemed a bit short-handed and had to go, you know, running around Europe for Fakundo Palestrian, and Ahmad uh, and eventually Cavani. I don't know if there are, you know... Any rumours of a grab bag on the final day, of the deadline day, but it—I'm not thinking De Jong's going to be United shirt for the first game against Brighton. I don't know. No, I don't. don't I'm—I've now, you know, accepted that will not happen. Uh, if it—if it changes mind, I'll be pleasantly surprised. But uh, I think the question now for United is: Do they have the contingency plans? You know, Laurie's already spoken about how this Ronaldo situation has left them. A bit shorthanded, especially with Anthony looking too expensive. And the sort of strikers, Ten Hag, would probably want to get, you know, I think Victor Oshman's probably going to cost £80 Tammy Abraham's not going to go anywhere either. So that's awkward. Um, And then if you want to get a De Jong-style player, I mean, you probably want Ten Hag to get on the phone to Ruud van Nistelrooy at PSV and ask him what's up with a couple of players in their midfield. But I don't know if Ten Hag wants to I do it.
4: Rude could do a job then in, in defensive midfield.
3: <laughs> Rude tracking no, back now. No. Rude and Ronaldo um, in the same form, wouldn't it? The way that <laughs> ended. It would. It would. I think. Oh, I think that is. I think that's now my worry. I am preseason's gone well to the point where I've gone, you know what Ten Hag systems work, uh, and Martinez is going to come on uh, and change the spine of that team. I am also getting to the point of going this. Ronaldo noise and this, the young noise, is keeping Ten Hag from doing the stuff he really wants to do on the training field. Um, and that's where I'm getting concerned. I'm, I'm going less from, yeah, United get their revenge on Brighton to, it's going to be a disappointing one or draw, isn't it?
2: Do you know what's worrying me the most? Andy Mitten is wearing a rueful smile as we talk about this. <laughs> that's worrying me more than anything. Because you've been quite optimistic about this, Andy, in the past is probably the right way to put it.
1: Yes, I have. And I'm not as optimistic now. I think no. some. I, I said two months ago that I'd spoken to someone at Barcelona and the first thing they said to me was, has anyone considered what the player wants here? And as time goes on, that rings truer and truer. Because he signed a contract and a contract gives him the right to stay where he is. I think that Barcelona will put... Pressure on him to the point that it's actually unfair, which we touched on a week ago.
2: Gary Neville's been saying as much as well, hasn't he? Getting himself in trouble with the authorities in Germany or being reported to them for saying that he could have a legal case against Barcelona.
1: What Gary said is no different to what the agent said to me, which I said in in the last podcast. It's exactly the same thing. Uh, Remember that Gary's uh, brother managers in the United States and they played a team last week called FC Barcelona. So <laughs> Gary, Gary is not naive to what's going on here either. And I think that uh, Xavi will be put under pressure to move the player on and it's starting to look completely unedifying. Uh, the Barcelona journalists who I speak to, who've been on the tour they do not portray a picture of a, of a happy footballer there in Frankie de Jong. And he might be forced out of the club. Uh, I think if he was forced out of the club, Manchester United would not be his number one destination, but might be his only destination because Barcelona need the money. So it's not great. What I would say, if he does end up coming, I've no doubt that he will be absolutely professional and not come, having completely got the hump like Anaheim de Maria did for example, I think he's mm-hmm. a completely different um, personality type, and I think he would be fine. And Ten Hag, it, it, it wants him to. He's, he's absolutely central to his plans. So you sort of think he's an intelligent man. Why are you going right so far on this one mm-hmm. thing if it's not going to lead to anything? He must have some some hope um, that that it's going to go through and. I know that when United came to Barcelona and there's been two or three meetings, um, United certainly left in an optimistic manner. But then the players got a contract. I mean, it
4: is scandalous how Barcelona are behaving, right? It's scandalous. I mean, mean, (laughs) they're signing players for ridiculous (laughs) sums of money. And they've got a guy here who they've had a contract with, who's you know taken a deferred wage to save them from this financial crisis, and they're just ploughing on with more, more spending. Honestly, uh, you know, They the...
2: can't actually register these players yet either, can they? They're not in a position where they've managed to work their way to that even. Yeah. And their season's not far off either, like ours
4: isn't. What, so what, what should we do? I mean, you, you've hinted at it there, Andy, in terms of I've being a smart guy. Surely he's not saying, go for this guy, if he's not got an indication that he's open to it. And and that's I think where United were coming from. The you know the, the John Merton and Richard Arnold went to Barcelona to go and sort this deal and, and get their an actual terms agreed with Barcelona. But at what point do United go? This ain't going to happen. We need to we need to move. You know, and I get that he is instrumental to what Ten Hag wants to do. And um, you know if they can pull it off, then then great. But you know we're getting into this territory here, aren't we? Where it, it could look unedifying and it could end up with egg on faces. And I just wonder how how far do you push it from a United perspective, um, and, and and also I think there's this idea that the wage is being deferred. If that gets sorted, then you know all of a sudden he'll be you know willing to to come. But then I don't think United have got that as a guarantee, so that's kind of an element to it. So
1: there's more echoes of Cesc Fabregas here, and what Fabregas said was, "Look, I don't want to leave, but if they're going to get rid of me and want to get rid of me, I'll come." So he was talking to David to David Moyes. And he said, if I don't start in the first game of the season, then I'll join no, Manchester I remember you
2: saying about this.
1: If Frankie de Jong didn't start, and I think that's far more probable, if the club really want to push him out, if they're saying yeah. to Xavi Hernandez, yeah. you've got to get rid of him. I know you like him, but you've got to get rid of him. If he doesn't start against Real Vallecano, it's interesting how a li- little team in Madrid are becoming <laughs> central <laughs> to <laughs> Manchester United's month of August.
2: You mean the last friendly that they've got as well? Yes, yeah. <laughs>
1: If he doesn't start against Rayo, now if you're Frankie de Jong, your head's going to be mashed at the moment, completely mashed, because you're probably loving life and you've just got engaged and your partner loves living uh, in in Barcelona. And all of those statements are true, by the way. And suddenly your employee doesn't want you, even though you're entitled to to be there. You're not being sacked or pushed out. You you can't claim unfair dismissal here. So if he doesn't start the games, uh, and the season does start a bit earlier because of the World Cup, you're going to have a couple of weeks in August where his agent must like must just say to him, look, it doesn't have to be like this. There is another option here. The, the Premier League is fantastic. Manchester United are a huge club. Um, you can see that they've won their opening matches. They've absolutely battered Brighton. They've just destroyed Liverpool. They're on the way back. And they want you to be the main man here. You're going to get paid. You're going to get paid well. Uh, You're not going to play at centre-back? You're not going to play at um, a, a, a centre-back. Sorry, the centre-back thing. Do we think that
4: was like a deliberate sort of, you know, this is what the future holds for you if you don't, you know, do what we want? Or, or would Xavi not play that game? Would, would he, you know... Xavi might, not,
1: Xavi might not have a choice but to play that game because Xavi's right. bosses are saying to him, we've got to sell.
2: Well, also, Ch- Xavi will want the players that they've signed to be able to be available to him, surely. They don't want to go into a season where Lewandowski, Rafinha... Um, Kessie and uh, Christensen are not available to the new manager. What's he going to do then? So, something's got to give somewhere, if it's with de Jong or someone else. It seems, I, I know it's been explained fully, and I know the articles are very detailed in exactly what the situation is, but I'm still absolutely mind boggled by how they've <laughs> sort of managed this situation, Andy.
1: I'd say 20 years ago, Barcelona were a lot of people's second favourite club. And I think, that, I think they've lost that. I think they've, they've done so many things badly. that The respect that a lot of people had for, for them. This sort of fan-owned club refused to tarnish the shirt with a sponsor, played fantastic football in a great city in a huge stadium. They've lost so much of that because of how badly they've been run. Their perceived arrogance in recent years. This more than a club. It's almost as bad as Liverpool's this means more. It's so supercilious. That it annoys people, as we say that I've just had an email inviting me to the unveiling of Robert Lewandowski <laughs> next <laughs> next Friday. <laughs> it's just popped through. Has he got a squad number? I need to go, to to go through it. And Barca has not been a well-run football club. Barca is not a, a model football club. And the more that Frankie De Jong sees that, again, United wouldn't be his first choice. If you said to him right now, would you rather live in London or Manchester? I'm absolutely certain the answer would not be Manchester. What are you possibly getting at, Andy? <laughs> Manchester's yeah, a fantastic this is, city.
3: This is the question I was going to ask you is, are there any murmurings in Barcelona media that someone could zump Manchester United to get Frankie Dior? Because just... United aren't in the Champions League and I've got that horrible feeling in the back of my head that the bad thing might happen and a club in the Champions League might go, here you go, mate.
1: Barcelona would absolutely love this to happen. Joan Laporta said... There's lots of interest in him, except there isn't. Not at the money that they've agreed. If you're offering Frank Di 30, 40, 50 million, maybe there are more suitors. But if Manchester United get him, they would be paying absolute top dollar for this player. When these negotiations started, somebody said to me, they want to get back the 75 million they paid for him. Mm. And it was almost with a laugh because that was unachievable. This was at the time when United were going in at 52s and 53s. And United will pay top dollar for him. So who else will pay top dollar for him? Chelsea have got the new owner. He's playing football manager. But even he's <laughs> he's done a lot. You know, Does he go in and, and try and get him at, at the last minute? The way the season starts can play a factor. Remember when United got beat to Swansea in, in 14? All hell broke loose. It was headline news. What on earth has gone on? United have lost at home to Swansea City. And United went out and panicked. And other clubs could panic as well. But I don't think anyone has got as specific a plan for a player uh, as Eric Ten Haag has for Frankie de Jong. The absolute detail that he's got for him. And if he doesn't, you know, he'll go with Fred, he'll go with McTominay. But he has confidence to play him as the only holding midfielder, rather than two. It's not a 4-2-3-1. He'll, he'll play him as the one. And he trusts that player. And I've spoken to several coaches over the summer about that player, and I've been surprised at how glowing they have been in their assessment of Frenkie de Because when I'm watching as a journalist and as a fan, I cannot see it to the same level that they are seeing it. And they're like, he's one of the best in the world. If he gets it right, and Ten Hag obviously thinks he can get it right with him, money's not going to be an issue there. It saddens me a little bit that Manchester's having all this fantastic weather, heatwave, heatwave, heatwave. You know what's going to happen, <laughs> don't you? It's going to move on the first of September. <laughs> Within six weeks, the clocks are going to go back. <laughs> There's going to be a picture of him in the Trafford Centre with his hood up, just <laughs> <laughs> like,
4: like Christian <laughs> Eriksen with that umbrella and it's pissing oh, it down. Yeah, yeah, There's another
2: way yeah, yeah. of doing this,
1: Frankie. You've got to realise it.
2: Right. Well, tune in next week for the next instalment.
0: Requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
2: Right, okay, let's bring the mood up a little bit because I'm sure people have been utterly depressed listening to the latest uh, De Jong updates, as interesting as they were, obviously. The tour was the tour, Andy's still got a a leg left, um, so to speak, with going over to Oslo. But I just wondered what your highlights were, Laurie and Andy, that maybe we've not spoken about on the podcast.
4: Well, I know what Andy's going to say, he's going to make some joke about my expensive taste in drinks. Well, we've (laughs) talked about that, haven't we? This is the
2: bit that we've not talked about,
4: hopefully. Well, do do you know, I actually, I need to make... Um, a special mention to these three cocktails that I got in this bar called Cipher, which is like a secret bar within the Beaufort, which is a a, a lovely establishment in Perth. Um, because I basically went up to the waitress and said, just give me three cocktails off the menu. I don't, you know, you, you choose. Uh, and she did these three cocktails that I've, I've sent you a picture of and I'll probably put it on my Instagram so people can get a sense of it um, one was called The Weird yeah uh, <laughs> one was called The Showstopper which had magic dust on the side of it which was like this blue thing um, that you lick it are you allowed to say that on the podcast? I, I, well oh, listen I, go- I think it's all legit I don't think there's anything illegal going on here you did say it was a secret bar, <laughs> it was you? a secret bar. it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't quite prohibition and, and the cops didn't come shut secret us down secret from the police yeah. yeah I loved it as well because I got told about it by my friend who lives in Perth we'd gone for a meal beforehand and he said it's a secret bar you know you can't find the entrance we got to the entrance and it's a very obvious cut in the in the wall you know you, it's, it's not, a, not a secret so much but anyway it was nice to kind of go through this little hole to get there. Bubble Club was I think the favourite one right you've seen it it had uh, a massive smoke bubble um, at the top of it, which she then popped and drank. And then I also got the Scotsman <laughs> on holiday, which had pineapple bitters and a skeleton leaf, whatever that is. Anyway, they were lovely. So so that was kind of a highlight for me. Um, and I, I just quickly need to say thank you to Chris Pryor, who was the guy that recommended uh, Naked for Satan, which is the bar that me and Andy went to, where I ordered that cr- crazy weird drink called a Dark and Stormy. And also <laughs> one final mention, when he, said, when he said the R word before, I was like, I should have thought revolver. This club in Melbourne, anyone who's been there... (laughs) Absolutely knows what I'm talking about. This insane club that stays open like 74 hours, 78 hours over a week and whatever the multiple of 24 is. Uh, so we we went there on a, on a Sunday and had a nice uh, Sunday afternoon dance. So I just wanted to make a, a bit of a mention of that.
2: Yeah, Aussie listeners, back Laurie up if you can in the comments. Let us know if you've also uh, been in those salubrious establishments <laughs> and <laughs> licked blue dust or whatever Laurie did.
3: I like how everyone's checked the thesaurus for this week's episode. Loads of lovely big words here
4: yeah <laughs> was it superlicious that Andy salubrious. salubrious yeah salubrious
3: and superlicious salubrious
1: unedifying yeah yeah we pull out them I, I just enjoy I think Melbourne's a good city he'll
2: have a theosaurus in the background there I'm sure on his book several I imagine
1: <laughs> I do uh, Bangkok's a top city <laughs> Melbourne's a, a great city when Laurie showed me pictures of Revolver the club at my my Immediately. I'm
2: just thinking the Beatles, here eh? Has it got something to do no, with the Beatles? No. <laughs>
1: Honestly, I was so envious looking at them. I really was thinking, I want to go there, I want to <laughs> be there. And I'm thinking, you're not 21 anymore.
2: <laughs> Neither's Laurie, by the know, way. Yeah, it, yeah. At, Maybe I'm make up for it.
1: In, in Oslo, them drinks, and I swear he's just made them all up as he's going along. <laughs> I'm going to post the menu online. <laughs> if I go in a bar in Oslo on Saturday night. And ask for the drinks that Laurie's just mentioned. I think it would be entirely reasonable for the Norwegian authorities to deport me from the country. <laughs> Bearing in mind that a pint of
2: water is a fiver, isn't it? So. I'm just going to go
1: to the bar and say, "Can I have a beer, please, mate?" And if you ask me to ask it in Norwegian, then then I'll do that. It was good. Per- Perth's a good city. The United fans are, are really well established there, and you know, I just got a, a good sense from Manchester United about about the whole trip. We're very lucky to be travelling around the world and. Seeing United playing in front of fifty and sixty thousand, some of the football was fantastic, and done it for a long time. My first tour was when when I was um, in nineteen ninety one, back in in Norway, uh, but that was that was a really good one this year, and and coming out after the sort of COVID stuff and travel still complicated, and had had we done this podcast on Monday afternoon when I spent eleven hours inside Heathrow Airport. <laughs> but then He's in, in that 11 United hours, fans. a fella came up to me, said, I listened to the podcast. I'm like, nice one, mate. I'm just uh, trying to get well, my head down here.
4: That That is actually just, I know you, you're trying to get the world's smallest violin out there, Andy, for your Heathrow experience, but um, <laughs> that was actually genuinely like one of the best bits about it. Fans coming up to us, you know, and going, we love the pod. We listen to it. I asked. um I met up with some fans in Perth. um uh, Tom, who'd, who'd Instagram me uh, and said, "Listen, if you've done one in Melbourne, you're doing one in Perth." And so I went and met him. Great guys from Berry, uh, expats. Uh, and I said, "Listen, have you got any improvements for the podcast?" And he just said, "Can you make it more often?" Because I'm there on a Thursday trying to press refresh. And I was like, "Wow, that's great." So we really, really appreciate people listening and yeah, we do. and having the enjoyment and having a bit of fun with us because it means a lot.
2: Yeah, and we're going back to two a week when the season kicks off as well. So don't worry, you won't be clicking refresh. Unless. Thursday, you will be doing it on a Monday again as well. I'm hoping we ended, the, we ended the pod with a smile then after all the grimaces of the De Jong saga and the Ronaldo saga that we're now going to have to talk about as well every single podcast. But thank you as always for being with us. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you, Andy. And thank you, Carl. Remember, you can go and take a look at Andy's articles as well, meeting Manchester United fans in literally every corner of the globe, <laughs> it feels like, if the <laughs> globe has got about 12 different corners um, I'm guessing you're going to add one for Oslo when you've been there at the weekend as well Andy so people can look out for that and don't forget if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic you can do it now for just one pound a month for the first six months go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United Pod. but for the minute thank you for listening as always and we'll see you on the next one bye-bye